Hi, I'm James P. Friel. And I'm Dean Holland. It's time to fasten your seatbelts, boys and girls. That's right. If you're an entrepreneur who's wanting to take your business to the next level and have a bit of fun while getting cutting-edge advice on your business, marketing, and sales, welcome to Just the Tips, arguably the best podcast in the entire world. I guess that's good, right? Yeah, that's good to me. All right. That was easy. That was the easiest thing we did all day. Yeah. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Just the Tips. I am very happy that you're here with us today. This is your host, Mr. James P. Friel, and I'm here with none other than Mr. Dean Holland. <laughs> hey, hey, how's it going, James? Excellent. How are you today, Dean? Well, as always, always great when I get to spend a little time with you. Yeah, I, th- I thought it would be good for us to just start elevating the, uh, the status of the show by calling ourselves Mr. I know, I like that. Mr. Dean Hart, I thought this was all because of the, uh, like, the new thing that happened today. Oh, what's that? The the random Voxer fan mail. Oh, well, yes, it it has a lot to do with that. I feel like we've gotten our fourth fan now. Yeah. And it's really, really important that we start taking this seriously. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty, it's getting pretty full on now, to be honest. I'm a bit concerned I'm not going to be able to walk the streets without being disturbed soon. (laughs) <laughs> I wouldn't worry about that. I think we've got a long way to go. So, uh, so, so Dean, as you know, we, uh, we have a really amazing guest here with us today, Matt Watson, who uh, in a variety of talents and things that he brings to the table, but not the least of which is actually exiting a company for $150 million, software company. Matt's got a tremendous amount of value to add today. Matt, welcome to the show, man. Hey, guys. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's awesome to have you. So, um, so I, I have so many things that I want to I want to ask you. Well, just try I guess, one thing first, Dean. Dean, please, please let me get on with this. Ludicrous. <laughs> all right, all right. Per Dean's suggestion, I will start with one thing. <laughs> so, uh, so Matt, you're uh, you're in the software world, right? Yeah, that's right. I live and breathe uh, software every day. And I want to know I want to know how you started your first company, Vin Solutions. And like what that ride was like, right? I don't think there's a lot of people who have had, um, you know, startup and then nine figure exit and like all that sort of thing. So can we dig into that for a minute? Yeah, absolutely. So, so tell us, uh, I mean, like how, how did you start it to begin with? Well, so, I mean, if we go back a little further, I, um, the way this really started is I was selling computers at Sears and I was in college and a car dealer came in to buy a computer and long story short, I ended up um, doing some software development work for this little car dealership um, to build a little database for them. And a couple of years went by and another gentleman uh, came by that dealership looking for, uh, he wanted to create some kind of software and asked them if they, ha- if they happened to know somebody and they knew me and just connected the two of us. And I basically just sat down and with with this uh with this other guy at an Applebee's and told me what he wanted to do and I said sure sounds like I can figure out how to do that and we started a business. So it was like this was like a real like back of the napkin sort of thing. Yeah, when it started, yeah. Right, right. that's amazing. So so was it just the two of you guys when you started? Like what what was the whole, you know, uh problem that you guys were solving in the market? 
Yeah, it was just the two of us, and I was basically the technical co-founder. Like, he had this idea, and it really was pretty simple. It was just, how do I take photos of cars and upload them to the internet uh, easily? And keep in mind, this was 2003. So, digital cameras were a luxury item then. You know, the iPhone didn't exist yet, you know, to kind of put things in perspective. So, hmm. yeah, he was just looking for somebody to, to figure out, how do I take this information and upload it to the internet easily and send it to different different places on the internet? And um, I was like, okay, sure, I can probably figure out how to do that and just start a business. Had you done coding and development before? Because like, I don't I think had. selling computers at Sears really prepares you for that sort of thing. <laughs> no, I had, yes. Um, I was, at that time, I had had a couple jobs. So I, I went from selling computers at Sears and then a couple of years went by. And so I had worked uh, for two or three years uh, as a software developer. And so, yeah, I had lots of experience at that point and knew what I was doing um in regards to being able to technically pull off what needed to be done sure right got it so so were you um were you always like entrepreneurial or was this the first thing that you decided to do just because it sounded like it was a problem you could solve or or how did that work um i was always one of those people that was looking for different things to do i always had kind of a side hustle and i you know, even when I had my full-time job, I was doing weird projects on the side just to make a few extra bucks and learn and do different things and was, was always interested in, in doing something something more, always wanted to have my own business. Um, my parents were very entrepreneurial, totally different style. They sold stuff at flea markets and had a little store and different things like that. And I grew up in that environment. Um, so it was always very entrepreneurial, but yeah, it was just always looking for the opp- opportunity. Huh. That's amazing. Uh, what we recently found out on the show that one of Dean's first entrepreneurial ventures was <laughs> selling parakeets out of his mom's shed in the backyard. <laughs> nice. I bet that tight traffic too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. These it's very exclusive business quality products. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, and I, I'm sure sometimes code goes awry as well. But in his case. The parakeets started eating each other, and uh, that's why the business didn't really get off the ground. <laughs> you made you made it your mission to ensure that everybody knows about this, don't you? you can't eat. It's product. one of my favorite stories. <laughs> you can't eat the product. That's not going to work. No, it doesn't. It really like eating your own dog food like a little too seriously. There, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, um, so, so how did the, how did the whole thing like sort of blow up to, uh, you know, from you guys sitting at the Applebee's to, uh, you know, getting, getting your first customer, getting traction, like getting those first sales in the door? Like, what was that like? Yeah. He had a, he had a few customers already kind of lined up. He was doing work for, and, um, the tool was just going to make his life easier. That's kind of how it started. And it just kind of grew from there. We, um, just started signing up a few a few customers here and there for the first year or two. I still worked my full time job, and I this was kind of my side hustle, um, just some you know another project I was just kind of working on, and um, it just started to grow um, slowly but surely. And uh, a couple of years later, I started doing it full time, and we it, it's so it started out as an easy way to syndicate. Uh, vehicle data online. So if you're a car dealer and you've got a hundred cars, you've got to update your pricing and your photos on autotrader.com and cars.com and your website and all these places. So it started out as a simple way to do that. But eventually we started doing all sorts of things around handling internet leads. So if you go to a car dealer's website and submit a lead, those electronically get sent to a, a CRM type system that 
handles the leads and um, enables the salespeople to know that they got a lead and how to respond and, and do that kind of stuff. So it eventually morphed into that and a bunch of different tools that were all car dealer related. Awesome. And and so how many years uh, in total were you uh, were you doing that before you guys exited? Uh, it was about eight years. Eight years. How many uh, how many employees did you guys wind up having at the at the peak? I think when we sold it, it was about two hundred and fifty to three hundred. I think today they have about five hundred. Right. So they're still doing really well. Still doing really well. Yeah. I think that business does over a hundred million a year in revenue now. That's awesome. So so what was the? Uh, I I think you know that whole experience of going from the like back of the napkin situation at Applebee's where there's an idea and a potential you know handful of customers to get started, you know, to growing to you know two hundred fifty employees. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of challenges that go along with that. There is, there is. And we never raised any outside capital. It was all bootstrapped the whole way. And we never really thought of it as a startup. Like I never would have, like, if you would have said the word startup to me, I'd never would have even known what that was. We were just a couple guys that had a business. We were just trying to make the business work. You know, I guess now startups are cool and that's, that's a thing. But back then it was like, it was just a business. Well, and I, I kind of feel like that's a better way to look at it anyway. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Where you're just like, hey, we're just running a business. Like, I, I feel like the whole startup culture is almost like uh, about ego and bragging and like, hey, like I got a startup and I got funding and I got all this other stuff. But like the the real meat and potatoes of the business sometimes isn't even there. Yeah. And that's, and that's, you know, that's where my current company Stackify is, right? We're six years into this and we have customers, we have a business, you know, we could, we could use to raise a little capital and stuff like that to, to grow faster, but we're not trying to go raise crazy amounts of money and do all this crazy stuff like they would in Silicon Valley. I mean, we're just a Midwestern company. That's just, it's just a good business. Mm-hmm. So t- tell us a little bit about that. What is Stackify? Yeah. So I, at, at the end of my um, time at, at Vin Solutions, it became very clear to me that the tools that we needed, uh, that my development team needed, just really didn't exist. Um, so I started Stackify to really scratch my own itch and build build the tools that, that I thought needed to exist. And so we do a bunch of things around application performance. Basically, uh, think about it like this. If, if tonight you decide to order pizza on Pizza you know, website. If for any reason, if that is slow or doesn't work or you get an error or whatever, you can quickly go order pizza from Domino's or Papa John's or a dozen other places, right? Like they lose, they lose business, right? So um, no matter what kind of business it is that has some kind of technology, they need to know if that software works, if it's slow, if their customers are happy or not, um, and a whole host of other things. So basically our tools um, are kind of like the black box on an airplane. We collect all that kind of data and we can tell the developers um, how their applications are performing and um, how to improve the performance and a bunch of other things. Mm, that's pretty cool. I really like that analogy. I think uh, I think that's cool. So it's kind of like it's kind of like listening and watching and collecting this information so that when stuff goes wrong, you can diagnose it and fix it. Yeah, which uh, if you know anything about software, you know that it breaks all the time. Yes. <laughs> so. It seems that way. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and the reason, and the reason why is, um, we live in this world of agile development where everybody's pushing to make new changes to their software, you know, every week or every month, and it's never ending. Well, the more things change, the more they break. Right. It's the opposite of stability. If you want something to be stability, like 
something that launches nuclear missiles, you don't change the software. It's the same as it's been for 50 years. It works right. and you stop screwing with it, right? Mm, um, but modern software is not that way. People make changes to it nonstop and it's just a never ending part of it is, you know, you, you take two steps forward and one step back every time. So, you know, I've had, uh, I've had a few conversations with people uh, in the software world recently and I feel like there's this, there's a serious pressure to uh, keep adding features and all these, all those things that like, you know, oh, our competitors are adding this feature. So now we got to add this feature. And I feel like that just kind of leads to, in some cases, like getting away from the core of what the software was designed to do. Mm. But I also understand that you, you've got to remain competitive in the market with, you know, feature development and stuff. Like, how do you, how do you balance both of those things if you're in the software business? That is really, really difficult um, and, and a really good point. Um, I mean, a good example of this is think about something like Twitter versus Facebook, right? Like Twitter is this dead, simple little application and Facebook does a whole bunch you know, of other things. And at what point is Twitter like, nope, we're going to stick to our 140 characters. We're not going to try and do all these other things. And it's it's always a struggle. You have to kind of figure out who is your target audience and the use case, and do you try and be perfect at that one use case, or do you start chasing all these different things? And that was the problem we had at Vin Solutions is we really had it, it was it was the good and the bad both. I mean, one of the reasons we were successful is we had like five different products, but it also created something that was so complicated that nobody in our company understood how it all worked because there were so many levers and switches and features and, and, and things that trying to fully understand how all of that worked together was really complicated. Mm. Mm. Well, Dean, I know you're, uh, you've been working on a uh, small software product off to the side as well. Haven't you? I have. Yes. My, um, my, my small venturing into the software realm has been slow and painful <laughs> just because I have no idea what I'm doing. I, um, but it's interesting. But I've um, I've gone the, I've gone the path of of actually, which is why I was interested in just listening to this part of the conversation. Like we've gone the path of trying to keep it stupidly simple so that people actually use everything it does. Because that's one of the like when we when we were first sort of planning the thing that we we've been working on. Like I was saying, well, most of the softwares that I own, like I don't actually use most of what they do. There's just specific things that I want to use with them, and. Um, so I kind of just did, made this decision with what we were doing that I wanted to just create something that was simple and had its very specific use. And that's what you used it for. Didn't have like a million other features. Well, and that, that's also important when you go to market the product too, because then you can speak directly to those people. Like if you have this exact problem, we solve this problem perfectly. Right. Yeah. And that, that's kind this. of our intention. It's like, this is exactly what it does. This is the problem it solves. Here it is. Like not... And when you... The, yeah. the opposite of that is when you try to solve everybody's problems, you end up solving nobody's problems. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, this is, uh, so, this is us just venturing into it. It should be interesting. <laughs> so, so, uh, so, so, Matt, speaking of, speaking of marketing, I know that uh, right now with uh, Stackify, you guys are... You have a real content marketing machine behind getting uh, a lot of traffic to your site. Can you can you talk a little bit about what you guys are doing that's working right now? Yeah, so I mean the the issue we had for a long time with our business was how do we reach our audience and our audience is you know more senior kind of lead software developers, managers at different software companies and 
they're really fickle about advertising and spam and stuff like that, right? Like they're the top people to use ad blockers and all that sort of stuff. Right. And we really struggled with that. And eventually we we found a couple good go-to-market strategies that worked really well for us. One was a free tool that we made called Prefix. And so we have a lot of people that love that free tool. Uh, it has kind of a viral effect. And we have a lot of people that download every that every week. Um, the other part of it was the content marketing. You know, I, I strongly believe there's a universal thing in this world that if you have a problem, you go to Google and you search for it. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. if you're trying to figure out how to get a stain off your clothes or whatever it is, right? You go to Google and you search for it. And so that's how we reach our audience. They go to Google and they search for a wide array of topics. Um, Stackify's website ranks on Google for over 100,000 keywords. And many of them are related to application performance or troubleshooting and, and different topics like that. And you guys create... You, so, so, so talk a little bit about how you created that, right? Did you just say, okay, great, we understand our customers. We understand the types of pains and problems that they have. And then you started creating content related to addressing that and you know, long tail keyword type stuff? Yeah, we, I kind of look at it as kind of three different pieces. You've got the terms that are kind of very product focused, you know, so for us, that might be like application performance monitoring. If somebody searches for that, they're looking for us. Um, And then kind of outside of that, you get kind of the next circle around that is topics that are related, like application logging or logging best practices or error handling or error tracking, or they have a problem they're trying to figure out how to solve and we can help solve them. Maybe they don't know they're looking for us, but we can help. And then I think the third the third portion of that is more audience focused. It's, you know, if somebody's searching for any of these sort of topics, whatever they are, which might be like some best practices or whatever, um, that's our audience. And how do we reach that audience, even if they're not looking for us directly? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how much of your, uh, how much of your marketing strategy includes like things like paid traffic and stuff like that? Very little. So like 90, plus percentage of our traffic all comes from organic. We do very little paid um, ads on Google or anywhere. That's amazing. So, so as far as, as far as like, if somebody wants to either, you know, maybe they don't want to go full, you know, organic, but they've got some paid stuff going on and they want to get more into the organic side of things. Like what's, what's the best place for them to start doing something like that? Yeah, I I think that, the best thing you got to do is just start doing it. Um, start publishing a, a new blog post every week or so and just religiously get to that pattern. It takes a, It's more of a longer game. It takes time to build you know, your domain authority and all those things like that. Um, it's not something you necessarily bears a lot of fruit within the first 30 days or 60 days. It, it's, a longer, it's a longer game. Um, but the more content you produce and you produce really high quality content, that's the key. Um, I feel like if somebody goes to Google and they ask a question, your goal is to, is to answer that question better than anybody else. And if you can answer that question better than anybody else, you will rank really well. Naturally, you will rank. Um, it, but you don't want to just churn out a bunch of crappy content that's targeted at crappy keywords. It's, it's got to be really, really high quality content. I love that way of looking at it. I don't, I don't like, I think whenever I hear anyone talk about SEO or blogging, they're, they're always trying to figure a trick or a loophole or some kind of, some kind of way of, of gaming the system. But to, to think like answer the question better than anyone else, that is a, uh, that's an awesome answer. 
it's that simple, man. That's all you got to do. Answer it better than anybody else. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Just, just be the best. That's right. And through osmosis, uh, people will like the content. They will share it. They will link to it. If you, if you answer it better than anybody else, it will rise to the top. How much sort of analysis do you guys do or did you do or would you recommend somebody do at the beginning when they're not exactly sure what the questions are, what questions are being asked that they need to give the best answer to? Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's great. And that's, that's where most people struggle when they get into this is um, they may think, oh, well, there's only like these three terms that people search for to find us, but there's usually way more things. And that's where some type of uh, consultant or whatever could, could help. Um, you know, for us, our audience is huge. It's millions of software developers all over the world. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it was kind of a never ending playground of things we could write about different topics where some people, if they have like a real small niche little business, they may, may feel like that there's not a lot to write about, but there there's always more than you think. And um, some different consultants or, or different people that have some expertise in content writing can probably help flush out um, all the different strategies because there are tons and tons of strategies. Mm-hmm. I know one of uh, one of the, one of my friends is uh you know, really good SEO guy. And he, you know, ranks like he's got so many, like how to make money online. Like he owns like that and like all sorts of like things that are, uh, you know, highly sought after and stuff. And one of the things that he told me was, you know, when, when you're focused on giving real value, you don't really have to worry about the algorithm changing exactly. and stuff like that as much. Exactly. It, it, is that like sort of your philosophy behind it? Yeah, I mean, it goes right back to that same thing of answer the question better than anybody else. You're you're not trying to optim out optimize Google or do keyword stuffing and all this crazy stuff. It's just produce super super high quality content, and no matter what Google's algorithms are, if you answer the question better than anybody else, it's going to rank well. Right, because that's what they want to give people. That's what they want. Yeah. I mean, you definitely want to follow best practices like using different, you know, the keywords in your titles and your headings and alternate keywords and the kind of subtopics and, you know, all these different things that go into creating content that ranks well. All of that is important, but ultimately it's the overall quality of the content and the length of it that really matters. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really uh, a breath of fresh air. I know Dean and I, um, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, but we we know a lot of people who are only in the you know paid paid advertising space, and like that's where they're getting a lot of their traffic and stuff like that. And and I think you know I think that's good, and you can use it, uh, and I use it. But but having this t- sort of strategy that you're talking about, I feel like provides more long term stability for your business because you just like your ad account doesn't just get shut down or something. like and, and, and the opposite of this, I have a friend uh, that I work with that he had an event ticketing business. So he had a, had a website that sold tickets to concerts and stuff like that. And they did all sorts of kind of SEO hacking stuff where they made millions of duplicate pages for all these keywords and all these sort of black hat sort of stuff. And then Google changed their algorithm with like the Penguin or Panda and stuff like that. And his business was just dead like a week later. It was just gone. Mm-hmm. Where I'm not worried about that, right? Like we're creating high quality content that we know is always going to be out there and be successful. We're not doing anything black hat sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It seems like uh, it seems like that's what people do when they're trying to create a short term boost, but they're almost like 
blind to what the long-term consequences are. Yeah. He made a killing for a while, made a ton of money, and then it was gone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, so, so Matt, one, one of the things that I, I just want to ask you before we start to wrap this thing up is for somebody who's just starting a business, we have, we have people who are listening to the show who, you know, are seasoned entrepreneurs and serial entrepreneurs and that sort of thing. And then we have people who are on the cusp of actually starting a business. Like what, what would your advice be to somebody who's just getting started? I think it's all about having the right partners. Um, it, it's really hard to be a solo entrepreneur. And especially if you're not technical and you're trying to create a technical business, the most the the business, my business that was really successful was really successful because um, not really the original partner I had, but partners I had later in the business were super strong at sales. And I was super strong at the product side of it. And I could just trust them. And the business just grew like crazy. And with Stackify, I have done all this on my own, and it's a lot, lot harder to be a solo entrepreneur. Um, luckily, I had cash, and I'm able to hire smart people, and so I've hired really smart people. Have you know the the fulfill the weaknesses I have? Like I'm not very good at certain things. I know what I'm good at, and I know what I'm not good at, so I can hire people to do that. But when you're first starting out, I think it's really important to pick the right business partners that can complement your skill set. Mm-hmm. And so recently mm-hmm. this year, I started a whole new business called Full Scale, and uh, my business partner's name is Matt uh, as well. So we have the two Matts, but like he's super strong at at sales and and organization stuff, and I'm more the technical person. And so we're a perf- been a perfect balance um, for that business, and that business is growing, you know, like in, insanity. But it's it's about finding the right partners. How do you how do you avoid getting the wrong partners? Because I think a lot of people, uh, I've had some great partnerships. I've had some really awful partnerships. Um, do you have any like sort of way of like screening or disqualifying people? Because a lot of people will say, "Yeah, you know, here's my experience. I'm good at sales, or I'm good at the technical side, or whatever." But then you know, you get six months, twelve months, eighteen months in, and yeah. you're like, "Man, I feel like I got dead weight here." No, I totally agree. And so the. Vin Solutions, when I started that, the original gentleman I started it with, we had kind of a falling out like three or four years later, and we had to buy him out. And um, uh, I went through all sorts of hell with that. So I I get it. Um, One thing I see a lot of times is um, doing sort of uh, some sort of vesting. So even if you're starting a brand new business, like the two founders' stock is kind of vested itself too. So for whatever reason, you have to kind of one of one of each other kind of have to be fired. Um, that the they have you know their stock is kind of vested as well, um, and you see that a lot when when investors come in, they want the founders to have a vesting schedule anyways, in case something doesn't work out with with the founders. Um, mm-hmm. That sort of strategy works well. The I think that the big thing is knowing who the partner is going to be or having a really strong referral from a friend or or something like that because ultimately. Ultimately, I would say it's it's probably easier to get a divorce from your husband or wife than it is from a business partner, <laughs> right? And um, you want to make sure that you're going into this with the right person for sure. Yeah. 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 Dean, I heard you chuckle. Yeah, I was just thinking about the scenario I found myself in working with you on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just scribbling notes frantically as Matt was talking there. 
Yeah, there's a lot of arguing and acrimony here that we uh, we don't talk about openly on the show very much. But Dean and I actually despise Ooh. one another with pure um, hatred. So <laughs> <laughs> now that's I, I think that's uh, I think that's solid advice, yeah. Matt. Um, Dean, uh, what else? Uh, what else is on your mind before we wrap this? Not up? a lot, actually. Other than I, I did, I did actually. I'm a bit hung up on something you said earlier. I was kind of surprised that you mentioned having friends. <laughs> yes, me. Yes. I, I, no, I was obviously that's just for the show. I don't have <laughs> friends, but um, no, I, I, I think this has been uh, really awesome. It's been interesting to hear a lot of different insights from the experiences that you've had, Matt. Um, so yeah, it's been awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I've mostly learned what not to do, right? <laughs> but right. they're the best lessons to have. All you have like do you. What, I think before before we go, let me let me let me drill in on that real quick. What like what are the top one, two, or three things that you feel like you've learned not to do? Good question. Yeah. So earlier you talked about product complexity and depth and feature set, and one of the favorite things I learned actually from one of my employees is he refers to it as everything you do you have to put in your backpack and you're carrying it up the mountain. So it's like every time you add this new feature, you have to support that thing and it's in your backpack and you're carrying it around from here on out. And I always just love that analogy of like the every person you hire, every new feature, whatever it is, you've got to carry that thing around. And so you always have to think about how many things you want to keep adding to the backpack. Man, that's good. a great analogy. That's awesome. Yeah. And that and that that transcends just software. That's like everything. Everything doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. Yep. I think that uh, that goes along uh, with the theme that you and I have talked about a lot this year, Dean, is about yes, indeed, a, a matter that I seem to have forgotten lately. But uh, yeah, I must remind myself of this. Well, it's never it's never too late to take the backpack off, take a few things out, and then keep going along. Every day, you got to clean house sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's a good analogy. It's easy to build on. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, very cool. Well, uh, well, Matt, it's been uh, it's been our pleasure having you on the yeah. show today, man. I really appreciate you making the time. Is there um, where can people find out more about what you're doing or Stackify? If, you know, if we have people who are interested in that sort of stuff. Yeah, so Stackify.com is is uh, the business we mentioned. Um, you can definitely look me up on LinkedIn. Just search for Matt Watson and Stackify. Uh, I have a podcast that I'm a host on actually too called Startup Hustle. Um, nice. We've got like 55 episodes. Um, with um, a friend of mine's a co-host called it's called the startup hustle. And then uh, I have a business called full scale that does offshore development in the, in the Philippines uh, basically. And so we have like 80 employees there. So. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, uh, we'll definitely, uh, definitely go check out Matt's stuff. Um, He's obviously, um, you know, not just somebody who's talking about theory. He's been in the trenches uh, clearly and uh, made amazing things happen. So appreciate you being here, Matt. Great to meet you, and uh, thanks for uh, thanks for all the insights today. Absolutely, thanks, everybody. All right, everybody, we'll uh, we'll wrap it up here. This has been another amazing episode of Just Tips. Thanks for listening. Uh, make sure you tell your friends and subscribe, and we will talk to you next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Just the Tips, where we believe business should be profitable and fun. For show notes, links, and other information on our guests, visit justthetipshow.com. For more information on how to connect with Dean Holland, visit deanholland.com. And if you'd like to get free from the day-to-day operations of your business while making more money, visit me at jamespfreel.com forward slash autopilot. Our theme music is Happy Happy Game Show by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.